Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, April 20th, we are studying 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. In today's text, St. John warns against antichrists, those who speak lies instead of the truth, departing from the word of God, and claiming that Jesus is not the Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Oh, Brother Apple, thank you for having me. It is always a joy to hear your voice. I'm looking forward to soaking up all of your wisdom concerning St. John's first epistle this morning, Pastor Hull. I tell you, I hope it is a small sponge because my wisdom does not even compare with yours, but let's see what happens. So, Pastor Hull, we are in 1 John this morning. As you wisely told me, that comes before 2 John. Help us with some context when it comes to 1 John as we prepare to look at these verses from chapter 2. What should we know about the epistle? What St. John's been writing so far? Well, I mean, you have some beautiful stuff. What's great about this, you start with who, it's really a epistle of who you are, who you are in Christ. You have this beginning of the word of life, walking in the life. You have that beautiful passage from our um, divine service. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You have John because they already know it, but he's reiterating and encouraging. This is who you are. This is who you are in Christ. And then you get to verse 15 of chapter two, and it's who you are in Christ means you're not, you are in love. You're not like a love story like Nicholas Sparks wrote it, but you are in love with Christ. He is your love, not this world. You do not love the world, the things of the world. You love, you desire, and you cherish the things that are of Christ. All those things that are of Christ, your justification, your sanctification, your forgiveness and righteousness, you cherish the sacraments, you cherish the gospel preached, you cherish absolution. And then we finally get to verse 18 here where he's like, well, we preach the truth to you, but there are those who don't. Mm. So you love he who preaches the truth and you avoid and mark and even call out he who is not of the truth, he who preaches contrary to the gospel of Christ. Just like Paul warned the Galatians, remember, may he be anathema to you. Do not be bewitched by these people. Hmm. So this is an epistle of who you are in Christ. And you, you talked a lot about how we love Christ as opposed to this world. And just thinking through what John has said so far in this epistle and what is still to come, that also comes from the fact not only of who you love, but who has loved you first, that Christ has loved right. you first. That's ultimately who you are. Well, and that's the thing. That's how he begins with it, that he is the one who loves you. When you look at this even new, this new commandment he gives, 
you only love because Christ is the one that loves you. Whoever loves his brother cannot hate God. They abide in the light. But we only love because Christ has first loved us. And that's what you get from this epistle is this beautiful language of who Jesus is for you. He does not lie when he says he loves you. He has shown his love for you by spilling his blood for you on the cross, by giving it all up, emptying himself completely, as Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse, I can't remember, 7 or 8, one of those verses. Hmm. All right, so with those thoughts in mind, that this is an epistle of who we are, whose we are in Christ, we turn now to 1 John 2, beginning at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. That's our text for today. That's 1 John 2, verses 18 to 27. Pastor Hall, in the first verse of our text, verse 18, John speaks to those reading his letter. He calls them children. We've seen this familial language throughout this epistle. Take, take us into that a little bit. Why does John address these people as children? Well, first, that's who they are. They're children of God. They're children of their heavenly Father. They are not sons of wrath. They are not strangers. They are not foreigners. They are children. They are those who are inheritors of the gifts of heaven, brothers and sisters of Christ. Children has this endearing, this endearing feel with it because it shows you, you you don't have to earn something. You don't earn becoming a child. You are just a child, and it's nothing you have done to make this happen. God is the one that births you in the forgiveness of your sins as his beloved who will live forever with him. And that is who you are. It also sets up who John is to them. He is their spiritual father. He is the one that is responsible for them, the one who prays for them, the one in everything that he does is for their good. That when he writes this letter, even if it's words of law, it is words to bring back, to reveal. But words of gospel are the ones that follow that as words that assure you of who you are in Christ. So children, it states who they are and also who John is for them as he addresses them as children, children of God. I'm the one who's been given to hand this over to you. So he says to 
these children, those who are children of God and who have this relationship with him, where he is their spiritual father, he says it is the last hour. What does that mean, that it's the last hour? Well, this is the time prior to Christ's second coming. This isn't, you know, we're not in the beginning of the birthing pains. We're, we're in the middle of them. We're, we're getting toward the end. Some would critique and say, well, this is how we know Christianity is a farce because the early Christians thought Jesus was going to come going to come back right then and there. You know, he's going to come back and they won't have to continue worrying about this. But then generation after generation, he doesn't come back. So the last hour is 80, 90 AD. Now it's like, well, now we're in 2023. How long is this last hour? Well, to us, it feels like an eternity because it's thousands of years. Whereas in Christ, this is but a short while. A day to him is a thousand elsewhere. And when we look at this last hour, it also prepares you. When he tells them, children, it is the last hour, it is a sign of encouragement. Like, you know, company is going to be here. Like when you have someone coming from out of town and they've just landed at the airport and you know their Uber is going to be at your house in 40 minutes, that's when you get into overhaul time to make sure the house looks like the model home no one's ever lived in before. So the last hour means be be ready. Don't don't assume it's not coming. Assume it's here, but you're a child waiting for it. You're waiting for a blessed thing. You're waiting for Christ to come back and claim you and take you unto the eternal realm. You're not waiting for a judgment of condemnation, but for that voice of Jesus that says, come, you who have suffered, come, you who have struggled, come, you who have died with me, that you may rise this day with me unto eternal life. So that last hour is right now. Every day is your last hour. Every day is that last moment. So stop wasting time being worldly, like you just preached about prior to this passage. Do not be worldly then. Instead, be heavenly. Read the scriptures, devour them. Spend a few hours a day reading them. Why not? What else do you have to do? Something better to do? No. Christ is coming. Read his word that assures you yet again he's coming for good things for you. Talk more about that and the the effect that this reality has on our Christian lives. What what happens to us if we forget that it's the last hour? How does that how does that affect us negatively? Take take us deeper into that. Well, negatively, it would it would look like this. If you think the company's never gonna come over, then you just don't claim. And what that looks like in the Christian life is you're not focused on your own sins and your own reality as a child of God. You're focused on other things instead. Maybe you're focused on what's going on in the world. You're focused on what's going on in, in another society. You're focused on what's going on in your congregation. And in not a good way, but a way that's detrimental, looking at other people's sins, other people's shortcomings, other people's weaknesses. Rather than rejoicing that your past has been forgiven, you're trying to dig up your neighbors because you're bored, because you don't think there's anything to really get ready for. So you spend your time in useless babble, gossip, slander, or even worse. When we look at the negative aspect of not seeing this as the last hour, we're not focused on our own sinfulness and our own forgiveness. Like the tax collector, God cover me in your righteousness because I'm the only sinner that I see. I don't see anybody else as sinful, it's just me. And I rejoice every day that I am forgiven. That every morning and every night is a death and resurrection that I am forgiven, claimed as God's own child forever. 
and I then rejoice in that reality. I rejoice in that gift. I don't have to wait for someone to pay it forward with me. Christ has already paid it in full for me. Therefore, I spend my days giving to others. When we don't see it as that last hour, we don't see our lives as filled in Christ, therefore filling our neighbor. But instead, we just revert back to the old Adam's ways, living for the world, living for ourselves. Like we confess in the uh, private confession, I have lived as if God did not matter and as if I mattered most. I have, I have hurt others by what I have done. My thoughts have been and desires have been soiled with sin. There are those whom I failed to help. Negatively, it's that. Positively, though, when we do meditate, pray, and abide in that last hour mentality, it's not out of fear, but out of joy. He's coming. So I'm going to spend time sitting by the window waiting for him. And how do I do that? Meditating on his word day and night, praying it, and living in my vocation. Joyfully as a husband or a wife, a father or mother, a son or daughter, a pastor or hearer, butcher, baker, cancer maker, whatever you are in between, joyfully doing it because you know Christ is coming soon. Mm. So I don't need to hold on to anything. Christ Mm. has already claimed it all. Yeah, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Very good. Indeed. All right, so Pastor All Children, it is the last hour, and now John begins to warn them against some of the things that will happen during that last hour. He says, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So he he mentions Antichrist, a singular one, and then he mentions many Antichrists having come. Uh, Take us into what he's saying, what he's warning against there. Well, I mean, you have the Antichrist. You have is this um, figure. Uh, He'll talk about it later in his epistle, right, with— in chapter four. So whoever you're interviewing for chapter four can talk a little more about who this antichrist is, the antichrist. I guess I can go to it real quick. He, he makes the point of every spirit that does not confess Christ is not from God. So he's talking more about testing the spirits there. But when you look at the antichrist, I know like when I grew up in Georgia, everyone was always looking for this Figure, and they would always see the Antichrist as like a a worldly leader that everyone would listen to. So it's like, well, who is it going to be? I remember when I was in high school, it was uh, Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist because hmm. he was this figure from the Middle East that was trying to rule everything. Uh, I don't know who he would say today, world leadership-wise, is the Antichrist. I mean, if you love Ukraine, you'd say Putin, maybe, you know, or is it, is it Joe Biden or is it, uh, I don't know many other world leaders, but Kim Jong-un, who is it? That's not what it means to be the Antichrist is to be this world leader. The Antichrist is the one who is against Christ, the one who veils himself as an angel of light, but is not Christ himself, who speaks against the work of Christ. And he is at work amongst us. He has been released from his little pit for a time. And the Antichrist is the old evil foe. And he has many, many little preachers who are Antichrists, little Antichrists. So with that, and I appreciate you bringing up the matter of trying to identify, say, a world leader as Antichrist. 
I think when you when you look here in the context of First John, he actually speaks against that idea that we should look for a world leader because he talks about the Antichrist or Antichrists having come out from us, that is, from the church. So it has a lot less to do with secular power and a lot more to do with being in the church, but then going out from that true fellowship by preaching the 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 falsehoods, the lies, that, and you've connected it to the devil already. So we, when we think about where we're going to, to find antichrist or antichrists, we really should be looking for false teachers within the church rather than for purely secular leaders outside the church. Well, exactly. You look at the time of St. John, well, the big heretic was Serenthus. You know, he was the big heretic that denied... Um, he didn't deny, did he deny the divinity of Christ or the humanity of Christ? He denied the divinity, didn't he? I think that's Serenthus. right. I think that's right. Yeah, Serenthus, you know, denied that there's the, the folk tale. I think it's in Eusebius's church history where St. John goes into the bathroom. And, you know, those days the bathroom is one big area. And he sees Serenthus and he runs out lest God strike the building down and kill him along with that heretic Serenthus. But you, you, you see Serenthus wasn't the only one heresies continue to come. Then you go a couple hundred years later, you get Arius. You keep going, you get Pelagius. Arius being the one that denied the Christ of being of the same substance with the Father, hence why we get that in the Nicene Creed. Pelagius, who held to man having at least some measure of free will to work toward God or at least remain holy. And then you have the semi-Pelagians. You have Nestorius, who had a misunderstanding of the two natures in Christ. You have continuing to go down the the line who did the confession say was the antichrist or at least the office of the antichrist is the office of the papacy the pope who claims to be a vicar of christ yet speaks against christ so you have antichrist and antichrists those who speak against jesus as the son of god the lord who rescues us and we have them today, too. That's why your pastor calls out false doctrine. That's why when he preaches, and may, if it fits in with what he's preaching with the text, he can call out one of those false preachers and can call out the, you know, the, the popular ones, the Joel Osteens and the Kenneth Copelands and the Beth Moores and the Joyce Myers and the Rick Warrens. Um, but because he's charged to do that, just like St. John is. Talk more about the, since you brought up the Lutheran confessions, and this is one that often when people will find out that the Lutheran confessions refer to the office of the papacy as the Antichrist, this sometimes will, Lutherans will catch some heat for this. So mm-hmm. talk, talk more about why that is the identification made by the Lutheran confessions and why when we as pastors subscribe to it and congregations subscribe to it, we, we still hold to that. Talk more about that. In the Confessions, I'd say the best place to go, well, the two places to go are the small called articles by Luther, right, 1537. And then what was attached to the small called articles at the same time is Philip Melanchthon's Treatise on the Power and Premacy of the Pope. Um, In those, they make the assertion that the office of the papacy is an office of the Antichrist, because in that office... You have someone claiming authority over Scripture, one who is this embodiment of Christ on earth, an apostle above all the other apostles, bishop above bishops, 
Remember, Melanchthon even said, from a worldly perspective, we would grant the Pope authority, but not from a spiritual perspective. For the Peter was an equal amongst all the other apostles. Some people like to see it as, well, maybe that was just back then, right? People will ask about the confessions. Is it descriptive or prescriptive? Descriptive, meaning it describes what Lutherans believed back in 1537, historically, or prescriptive, meaning this prescribes how we believe, teach, and confess today, how we do theology, how we preach and teach and administer sacraments and everything else. And it's both. It describes what happened, but it also prescribes how we believe and do everything today. So when we swear to those documents as a guided guide, guided by the Holy Scriptures, we don't see this as this was just Philip Melanchthon and Luther's view of Pope Leo or Pope Julius or, or Pope Alexander. No, this is still what we believe to be the office that Pope Francis occupies, is an office that is against Christ that is against Jesus as the only one through whom salvation is given, and only he works that salvation out by his grace alone. So the Luther Confessions make that identification, and as John says, there is the Antichrist and also Antichrists as well, so that whenever we hear false preachers, we know we're hearing those who are setting themselves against Christ, and they're coming out of the church— John uses this, this fact that you have heard that the Antichrist is coming and many have come. He uses that as the reason we know that it is the last hour. How is the presence of these false teachers an indicator of what we were talking about earlier, that it is the last hour? Well, remember Jesus said, many will come saying they are the Christ. Oh, look, there is the Christ. Jesus says this very clearly in Mark, and he says it in Matthew, where he has his those few chapters, chapters... Um, was it 22, 23, and 24? Or I need to go back further, up further, where he has his end times, where you get all those like last Sunday of the church year texts. And in that he says, you know, many will come saying they are me, but they're not because you will know that day. When I come back, you will know because you will see the lightning from the east to the west, the coming of the son of man. So many will come saying they are the Christ. And what John's also saying here is just because someone claims to be a Christian, doesn't mean they are one. You look at church bodies. Like, why does pastor not like my Methodist aunt? Well, no, he likes your Methodist aunt. She's really nice. She's really, or aunt, however you want to say it. Um, I think I pronounced Methodist right. You did. But that's the thing. It's, he, he, he doesn't hate her. He, but what he's doing is he's saying it is a church body that rejects the truth of Scripture. And in that, then, not only is the, the Pope antichrist so is that church body that denies the truth of god's holy word that rejects it i was having a conversation the other day with someone saying aren't you really happy that a lot of methodists are opposing um this understanding of gay um ordination i said i'm not why would i be happy about the conversation even happening this isn't a good thing uh, this church body rejects the word of god that's how this conversation can even take place and it's not the only one. So we're not picking on the Methodists. We have this even with our own Missouri Synod. That's why your pastor is not a pope. He is under the scriptures and the confessions. They guide everything he does. Or the board of elders are not in charge of your church. Jesus is. How do you know how Jesus is in charge? Scriptures and the confessions. 
So even your local Missouri Senate Church could be antichrist if they're not walking in accordance with these things. So that means you need to know them. So you know who's who to listen to and who to avoid. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that when we look at later at the language that St. John uses about the idea of abiding in Jesus and letting his truth abide in us. The, that is a great necessity for us as Christians to be immersed, to abide in the word of God so that we can distinguish between truth and error and cling to the truth that Christ has given in his word and flee away from those who would preach falsely. Now, as, as John talks about those who preach falsely in verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been, then they would have continued, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all, they all are not of us. Talk about this, what John's saying here about those false teachers going out from the true church. Well, they start that way. You know, a lot of these guys, they may start out as Christians. Look at Paul uh, to the Galatians, you know. He says, just because someone comes climbing there with us, don't test the spirits. Now, John will get into this in the chapter four more, testing of the spirits. But when one comes to you, they come disguised as an angel of light. They come as one who, well, our own church body has dealt with this, right? If we're looking at history, you have a seminary. It's southwest of Fort Wayne. I know that about it. But I think they had a big deal happen in the early 70s, maybe, I think. You know what I'm talking about? The walkout. Yeah, there we go. Okay, I tell you. I'm sorry. I know it's a sort of subject. It's fun times. But, I mean, this happened, and we have people still alive that remember that. Right. But here's the fun part. Are there men that remained at the seminary who had sympathies toward those teachings that are false, that then became pastors in the Missouri Senate? Yeah. Or did we have men that left and came back into it? And that reality is, well, why'd you come back? Or why did you stay? Why did you abide in this? Why didn't you go there if you believe this? We have our own debates about women's ordination. We have our own debates about the Lord's Supper. Our own debates about these things. So, like I mentioned your Methodist aunt earlier, maybe we need to get to a point in the Missouri Senate of, do we all agree do we all understand, not even agree, because that doesn't matter. Do we all know what the word teaches? And are we faithful to it? Or are we faithful to something else? Even in Fort Wayne, we have that too. Are we teaching and preaching that which is true? Or are we straying from the path? Just because someone has a title and a history doesn't mean they're preaching the truth. You have to know who's coming to you and know exactly how to receive it. Mm, right. And while it is... So I think Fort Wayne and Joy didn't want to just bash St. Louis. You know, Fort Wayne gets it too. St. Catharines, I mean, we don't have to bash them much. They don't bother us. They're nice Canadian people. <laughs> so while it is certainly lamentable that there are divisions within the church, as St. John reminds us, when we see those who go out because they do not hold to the truth, there is value in that so that we would all the more readily recognize what is true, cling to that, and so cling to Jesus Christ rather than any false doctrine or false teachers who would pull us away from Christ. St. John is giving us wonderful wisdom here in this text. We're going to keep looking at it on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Chris Hull this morning about 1 John chapter 2. We will be right back. Please stick around.
What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, April 20th. We're studying 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27 with Pastor Chris Hull. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, prior to the break, we left off at verse 20 of our text. St. John says there, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. What is the encouragement that St. John is giving in that verse? Well, y'all are baptized. Y'all been anointed by the Holy One, and you have the, the gospel that is in Christ Jesus. Not only have you been baptized, you have been united with Christ in a death like his, rising with him in a resurrection like his. You have been given the true word, nourished in that baptismal grace. That's who you are, my dear children. You are not just someone off the street that I'm trying to convince of this. You are of the household of faith. You were anointed, set aside by Christ to receive the holy things and live a holy life. That's who you are. How does that connect to the knowledge that St. John mentioned there at the end of that verse? Well, and you all have knowledge or this understanding of, um, we look at knowledge as this word gnosko, right? And um, isn't that right? Is it gnosko? I don't have the Greek in front of me right now, but gnosis like or know. gnosko is a, a one of the Greek words for knowledge. And yeah. sometimes pastors today, you might hear them talk about Gnosticism. In, in right. English, we usually leave the G silent, but it's that yeah. same same root. So here, here, Christians are the ones who actually have knowledge. Right. How does that connect to the anointing given in holy baptism? Well, that's the knowledge is from outside of you. With Gnosticism, it's a knowledge from within, this inner type knowledge, where you grow deeper and deeper. Whereas our understanding, our knowledge, we know everything by what Christ reveals and gives to us. We know because Christ has made known to us these things. And he makes them known in the waters of holy baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in absolution, in the gospel preached, and in the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren. You know everything. You have the knowledge. You have the means of grace. You have the word is what St. John is giving them. Hmm. And then, I mean, when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, the idea of knowledge or enlightening, this is one of the things that we confess in the Catechism, that the Holy Spirit is the one who enlightens us with his gifts. And even in the rite of holy baptism, you have often given to the newly baptized the, the baptismal candle, that here is this light, this anointing, this knowledge that belongs to you, because you have been incorporated into Christ, you have received the gift of his Holy Spirit as he has promised. Right, and what's beautiful is what does it mean to know Christ? You look at Luther's understanding of theology, that oratio meditatio tentatio, prayer, meditation, and suffering. Who is the one who works that out but the Holy Spirit? That our meditation is by the Holy Spirit, we pray by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who carries us through our spiritual anguish and warfare that we may know who God is 
but more importantly, know who God is for us. So as John continues then into verse 21, he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. What is St. John saying in verse 21? Well, and that's the thing is he's not saying it's you don't know these things. I'm writing to you because you do know it. I don't want you to lose it. No lies of the truth. I'm warning you as those who know the truth that you may not lose this truth. Um, even take pastors. When you preach your sermon, you're preaching to the faithful. You're preaching. Are you preaching to sinners who are trying to become saints or saints who are struggling with sin? And you can say, well, we're sinners. You know, it's the symbol. We're simultaneously saints and sinner. But yeah, but one gets to live forever. The other one dies when you die. The one dies every single time you hear the word. The law preached, it dies, and that's the sinner. That's not who you are in Christ. You are a saint who now battles and goes to war with sin. You are a believer who battles and goes to war with unbelief now. That's who you are, and it's a blessed life. As St. John says, you know, he's writing not because they don't know it, but because they already know it. It seems to me that there's an encouragement there for us as Christians to, as we've been saying, to abide in the word, not to think we've heard it once, that's good enough. But St. John actually is saying here, I'm writing to you because you already know these things and I want you to hear them again. That's I think serves as an encouragement for us as Christians to remain in the word of God, to continue to hear it even after we've heard it once, twice, three times. Oh, I mean, think about it. Like today, um, I read the entire gospel according to St. Mark with, with the saints at Zion. Mm. Um, not a huge crowd, but a decent crowd. And about 25 people, which I was expecting two. And uh, so it's good. But you think about it, the Word of God, just reading it together, reading it every day together. Don't just read it by yourself. Read it with people. Go to each other. Can you imagine if no one in church was allowed to talk until they could recite an entire book of the Bible by heart, including us ministers? I bet everyone would choose Philemon or Jude. But Maybe Obadiah. Maybe Obadiah, yeah. Maybe, hey, guy. I, I've, heard, I've heard it's pronounced differently, but I, you know. But that's the thing is when you look at the understanding of God's word, if we don't know it, if it's not saturated in us, then we speak lies. You only know the truth as it abides in you. So you're always meditating on the word, always focused on the word, always talking about the word. Um, that's what a congregation is for. You go to church to be healed. So let's just consume our time with the word of God. Can you imagine if it, you know where your pastor is all the time? He's either at the hospital visiting people in a home visiting people with his family, or he's at church reading the Bible, just out loud, reading it all the time, like set times during the week where he's just reading the Bible out loud and you can go and just listen. Well, how many people would show up for that? Or do we think we know it well enough? I know it. I know it. Okay. I, I know enough to get into heaven. Well, don't we hunger and thirst after righteousness? We would always want to know, to learn more, to study more, to meditate more, um, to know what's the big deal with golden calves. Why was there a dude that made two golden calves? What's the big deal about palm branches and how that relates to the old Testament? I mean, spend your time. I mean, people listening to this program, that's what they're doing. They want to know more. They want the knowledge to grow so they can abide in it better. That's not a bad thing. That's a righteous thing. 
keep keep listening to the word of God. Keep keep abiding in it because it is your very life, and there is no lie in it. It is only truth. Now, St. John comes back to the thought of the liar and the Antichrist in verse 22. He says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Talk about the the liar here, as St. John writes about him in 22. The liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the, the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He denies the Father and the Son, so it gets into substance issue. Whoever denies that Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord. And you have, like with John, you have Serenthus right there is this one that does it. And this is where it gets fun with, with us in our day. I mean, you could say, well, I went to the church there, and the pastor never said Jesus isn't God. But did he deny the bodily presence in the Lord's Supper? Does he deny baptismal regeneration? Does he preach justification and something else according to your works? Did he preach a sermon that had the gospel in it, or was it just a life lesson? You're not going to—it's rare to go to a church and find a guy that says, Jesus isn't Lord. You know, it's going to be a lot more subtle than that, hence why you need to know what you're talking about, to know what does the Word of God say. So that when you hear it, not that you become captain or cap, you know, captain nitpicker, but you can be the one that says, this isn't good for me. This isn't good for anybody. This man who denies these things, trace it back, denies that Jesus is the Christ. Because if Jesus says this and he doesn't believe it, what does he believe about Jesus? How does this connect to Satan as the father of lies, as we heard Jesus say in John chapter 8? Well, you look at Jesus, uh, not Jesus, the devil is the father of lies. Well, what lie does he try to spew? Is that God's word is not God's word. He did it with Eve. He tried it with Jesus. He tried it again at the cross. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross and then we will believe you. The devil always points you away from Jesus as your savior. He is the one who lies instead of preaching that which is true. Anything that points you away from Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the only Lord and Savior, not like fully and completely everything for you, then that man is the Antichrist. He is of the devil because he murders you by the word proclaimed, that false word. Uh, John, in this section, then makes plain the connection between the Father and the Son for the Antichrist— who denies that Jesus is the Christ, then also denies the Father. So, into verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. On the other hand, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Uh, Talk more about what John is saying there. When we look, it goes back to Jesus, he who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. When you confess who Jesus is, he is the Son of God, you confess who the Father is. So one can't just believe in the Father outside of the Son. One only believes in the Father because of the Son, on account of the Son. We know who the Father is because Jesus has revealed him to us. And we know who Jesus is because the Holy Spirit has revealed him to us. So when we look at he who believes and confesses Jesus, confesses the Son has the Father. But if you deny the Son, you do not have the Father. And this isn't talking just about other religions, you know, Judaism, Islam, or whatever. It's talking about anyone who preaches. Like I told one of my members, a, a, uh, um, 
a very, very nice woman named Donna. She and I were talking the other day. And um, I said, you know, it's amazing how many theological conversations, not between she and myself, but sometimes people have, where they don't talk about Jesus much. Mm. They don't talk about the Son. We may talk about the Lord's Supper or talk about baptism or talk about predestination or talk about, you know, name it. But do, is it all bleeding with Jesus, with the Son, or is it not? Like uh, David Scare said, all theology is Christology. He said that for a reason. So when you have Christ, you have everything. When you don't have Christ, you have nothing. So you could you could talk about God the Father or Father God all you wanted, but if you've never talked about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then you don't really have the Father. No. And that's the thing is you cannot—outside of Christ, the Father is a God of wrath— that is all you get is wrath. You get the flood. You get destruction. In Christ, because he has consumed the wrath of the Father, you get a loving Father, a Father of mercy. Not that wrath is the Father's nature. No, 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 no. That is his alien work. You know the nature of the Father only because the Son has revealed it in his death and resurrection for you. You cannot go to the Father except through the Son. And the Holy Spirit brings you to the Son that you may be presented to the Father. And this is not your doing. It is the working of Christ himself. So, I mean, this is very much related to the way Jesus speaks in John's gospel in the upper room when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me, which on the one right. hand may sound like it's very exclusive, and it is exclusive. But in right. fact, it's, it's also very inclusive because because of Jesus, you actually do get to go to the Father. Yes, you have to go through him. But the way to the Father is open. You can have that fellowship. You can abide in God truly because of Jesus. Yes, only because of Jesus. But apart from Jesus, there is no way. So, I mean, it's it. what John says here takes that statement from Jesus, which could be heard in a, a very negative way, I suppose. And it actually makes it one of the most blessed statements from our Lord to us. Yeah, it is a blessed thing because he's done it already. He's gone before you. It is accomplished, he says on the cross. It is finished. He is the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. He does it all for you. You don't do anything. He does it all. And that, that's sola gratia. That's grace alone. And we receive it by spirit-given faith alone because it's all Christ alone for you. And that's the point of all of it. And that's every Sunday, isn't it? That's what you, you and I will be blue in the face preaching that. I won't go blue in the face holding my breath preaching the law. Let it be preached and let it be done. But I'll go blue in the face preaching the gospel. Because yeah. that needs to just keep going. That's right. So that those who confess the Son would have the Father also. I, I do also appreciate the way that, as, as we've been talking about the anointing and then this this faith that we have in the Son that you've brought out the work of the Holy Spirit, it's a, another example of how the New Testament and the Old Testament as well. None of it makes sense unless what we teach about the Trinity is true. Sometimes people might wonder, like, why are we celebrating Trinity Sunday? Why do we have to confess the Athanasian Creed on that Sunday, Pastor? It's really long, and it uses yep. a bunch of words repetitively. But but by just the way you pointed it out here, and you see it elsewhere in the Scriptures, again, in the Old and New Testament, you see how really none of it makes sense without a Trinitarian theology. And so I appreciate you pointing it out here. Well, thanks be to God. Thank you. It's good times. So as John continues then into verse 24, he writes, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, 
then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Help us into John's words there. Well, you can hear his gospel here, right? If you, Jesus says, you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How many times do you hear in society people say the truth will set you free? And they abstract it from the word of God. Yeah. Like this vague truth. No, the truth is Jesus. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. But abiding in the word is a joy. I've always said this to people, spend the day just reading the Bible. When you wake up in the morning, get your coffee going, or if you're a tea person, whatever, if you're that type of weird, you know, that's fine. We love you still. We just fought a revolution about it, you know, but it's okay. We'll forgive you. You know, I Matt Wheatfeld over in Fort Wayne's getting mad now because he's a big, you know, he likes tea a lot. So he's probably upset if he's listening. Um, but you, you brew your coffee, you sit down, and you just read. Imagine doing that, just spending the day singing hymns, reading the scriptures, reading good theologians like Luther, Gerhard, Melanchthon, Walther, Winneken, Preuss, Marquardt, Nagel, Feuerhahn, um, you know, these great theologians, you know, listen to these things, pray and meditate. It's a joyful day. I mean, your problems don't go away, but now you're at peace because your, your satisfaction and fulfillment is in Christ alone. Abide in that. The further you go away from it, as our church body has, and I'm not talking just about the Missouri Center, I'm talking about churches as a whole. How much do we focus on that which doesn't even come from the word? You know, I've made this point many times and I'm unpopular when I say it, but it's okay. Um, I said, I've never had a voters meeting where we argue about theology for two and a half hours. But man, we'll argue about a budget. We'll argue about money. We'll, we'll debate these things. Churches divide over it. And I say, why? And everyone says, well, because we agree. I said, no, because you don't know it. You don't know the word well enough to argue about it. You don't know the word well enough to debate it. You don't know it well enough to actually understand what is truth and what is false. And John's saying that here, you have to be in it. It's not a huge book. I mean, it's what, 20, if you could take like the Lutheran study Bible, it's like what, maybe 2,300 pages? I mean, come on, you can read that. You could read that once a month, but we don't want to. We have better things to do. But it's true joy when you just, I think there's a Psalm about that. Happy is the man who meditates on God's word day and night. So let that abide in you. And it is what you have heard from the beginning. You talked about the echoes of the gospel. And I think from the beginning here, certainly it's what they've been taught by St. John all along. But I think it, this language of from the beginning goes deeper, that it's it's the that from the beginning indicates we're not just talking about the word of a man, but this is actually the word of God that he's inviting them to abide in. Exactly. You get that beginning prologue in the beginning was the word. This is the word you of Christ, the one you had from the beginning. This isn't a new word. This is the eternal word in which you abide. Yeah. And, and what's the point of that word? Verse 25, the promise that he made to us is eternal life. Why wouldn't we want to dwell in that which is eternal life for us? Yeah. I made this point the other day. I say we usually see our Christian life as we're on a road to heaven. We're getting to heaven. We're, when I get where I'm going, as uh, Brad Paisley sings. Mm. But Sunday morning, it's not about you going somewhere. It's about someone coming to you, Christ coming to you. 
And where Christ is, there is heaven. So maybe we should see our life as eternal life is being brought to us all the time. We never get to it. We're not going to heaven. Heaven comes to us. Christ comes to us and continues claiming us as we go through this valley of sorrow, as we suffer through it, as we survive it. Because heaven is what awaits us, and not just heaven, the new creation, the new heavens and new earth. John concludes in the text that we have today with verses 26 and 27. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. John again brings up the matter of the deceivers and then encourages those reading this epistle in the anointing they've received. Take us into these last two verses of our text. I remember one time I was taking a doctorate of ministry class at Fort Wayne with a Dr. Peter Scare. And I remember he sat there and he asked, what are the last words of Christ? The seven, seven of them, right? Yes, yeah, seven. Yes. What are they? And everyone around the room was able to muster it together. And, you know, I thirst. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Um, it is finished. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Father, forgive them for they know what they do. I'm missing one. Yeah, and I was I was tracking with you, and then I, I lost which one you said. It is finished. But I, I, he keep asked going. a beautiful thing then. He then said, where are these written? I'm only asking for seven statements here. Where are they in the Bible? And everyone was silent, and everyone got mad at him. I sat there, and I thanked him. I'm like, you showed how I know these things, but I don't know where they are. I go, oh, you, oh I, I don't get saved by knowing you, but yeah, you, you, why wouldn't you want to know it? Why wouldn't you know that woman behold your son, son behold your mother? It is from John's gospel. Yeah. Or the, it is finished, John's gospel. Uh, today you'll be with me in paradise, Luke's gospel. You know, Father, forgive them for they're not what they do, Matthew. You, you see these, no, that's my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew. Yeah. When you look at these, it's like, but what chapter, what verse? So what it does is, what John's saying here is, I know you know it, but you can abide in it more. You, you are never knowing it enough. The closer you get to heaven, the you realize how little you know. And abide in it, because if you think you know it, you really know nothing. Every time I go into the scriptures, there's more that the Holy Spirit does, because that's the anointing. He's the one working on you as you abide in the word. It's not you doing something. It's being worked on by the Holy Spirit. And as you meditate on that word, it works on you. It molds you. It shapes you. It fashions you unto that which you will be unto eternity. And we abide in that. So when critiqued, and you can kind of sense it in John here. He's like, I know you know it, but you could know it a little better. You can be known better. And in that, we have humility, grace, peace, and love for each other. I really appreciate that encouragement, Pastor Hall. I think, and if I remember right, did you say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? No, I didn't. That's the one I okay. forgot. There you go. Which is which is also from Luke. That's from St. Luke that we right. get that one. So very right. good. Yeah, an encouragement not to just know the words, but also know where to find them in the scriptures 
to, to keep abiding in these truths that are eternal life for you and for me. Pastor Hull, we have about two minutes here on the morning. Help us to wrap things up. Give us the good news from John, 1 John chapter 2. It's a good thing to want to read your Bible. It's a good thing to want to go to church. It's a good thing to want to receive the sacrament. It's a good thing to meditate on your baptism. You're going to fail at it, though. You're going to have days where you don't meditate on it as much as you want, days you may not. When you are faithless, take heart. Christ is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. These things are not there to guilt you, to burden you. They are there to free you, to grant you joy, peace that surpasses all understanding, that completeness in Christ alone. These things are gift to you, to meditate on God's word day and night. Because this place is not where you're created to be unto eternity. This valley of sorrow, this entrance into the gate of hell, this isn't your permanent place. You have been created to be one who lives forever in the new creation. And the gifts that Christ freely gives you are for that. Trust not in the one who points to you anywhere else besides Christ. His blood, his wounds, his death for you, for your forgiveness. They are yours forever. So may you rejoice in that absolution today that in Christ you are free from sin, death, world, and the power of the devil, and united to Christ, joined at the hip, so that you can walk with him under the ages of ages. Pastor Chris Hull is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. He has been helping us today to study 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. Pastor Hull, thanks for being our guest today. Brother Apple, it's always fun times. Keep up the good work. The devil hates your guts for it, but hey, Jesus delights in you. The last hour is here, dear Christians. We are waiting for our Lord to return. We do not know when the day will be, but we look forward to it with great anticipation as those who are children waiting for their beloved brother to come home. In that waiting, we rejoice to abide in the word of God, which is our eternal life, which protects us from the lies of the evil one and grants to us that life eternal for which we wait at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Coming up next week here on KFUO, we have Sherathon on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That is April 27th through 29th. It is your opportunity to partner with us at KFUO to share the good news of Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Look for special episodes of Sharper Iron that Thursday and Friday. And again, opportunities to partner with KFUO during share April 27th, 28th, and 29th. Thank you for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.